Hey guys. Good morning. Michael just got his coffee during the prayer. Do you guys all hear that? So the awesome thing is that we're a noisy church, and so we love babies, and we love people that need to make coffee. So you can do both of the, well, uh, you can uh, have crying babies, and you can make coffee while I'm preaching, and it is not distracting. I work at the Union Gospel Mission, and I actually had a chance to preach this message that I'm going to be preaching today um, while I was working there. And I uh, promise that uh, making coffee will not be the most distracting thing that's ever happened when I've preached this message. Uh, unfortunately, there's a gal that was having a, having a mental breakdown the last time that I was uh, preaching this message, and um, had uh, she was high on meth. And so, uh, um, so I, like I said, <laughs> uh, you can make coffee, and I will not be distracted. Please do so. Enjoy some coffee, some muffins, relax today. Um, so before we get started, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, but there's one thing that I want you to think about. So first of all, how many of you, by raise of hands, how many of you have participated in some way on a team before? All right, Alexi and I, come on Lexi, pay attention. I was talking to you earlier this week because uh, Lexi is on a soccer team, right? And she's, uh, she's playing uh, uh, school sports at high school level for the first time. How many of you right now, you're playing on a team right now? Besides Lexi, is Lexi the only one on a team right now? Okay, so all the rest of you, you didn't get picked for the team. Sorry, that's just the way life goes. Now, now um, the, uh, uh, how many of you were the last person picked for your dodgeball teams usually in elementary school? Chris, yeah, well, I see that, uh, you know. Um, you seem like you might be able to throw, but it was, it was just I, I you're a big target. So oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, dodgeball was political in elementary school. So, <laughs> yeah, well, so uh, I want you to be thinking about this idea of being on a team, all right? Um, so when we, right now we're in the middle of uh, football season starting up, so how, how many of you have watched any of the preseason uh, games? All right, so, and uh, Sarah, I heard that you're a Giants fan, so, I, no, sorry, Vikings, 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 so I might get to make fun of you a little bit this morning, too, so um, preseason has been going on, and inevitably what happens? happens during the preseason as people get traded around. Uh, hopes are being lifted. Hopes are being dashed as people get injured, as all kinds of different things happen. Um, and you see some guys that get traded and you're like, oh man, this is going to be really great for our team. And then they get injured. Or you have another guy that gets traded and you're thinking, oh, what a loss and all that. Um, and so people are changing teams all the time. So one of the things that happened for the Seahawks is that we got a guy that we had traded for uh, named Eddie Lacy. And he used to be a running back for the Green Bay Packers. Now, uh, I want you to be thinking about there is a change that Eddie Lacy has to go through to be a part of the Seahawks team. He can't play like a Packer anymore. He can't be a part of that team anymore. In fact, if Eddie Lacy came to practice wearing his Green Bay jersey, um, or if he said in practice, well, that's not the way that we used to do it at Green Bay, I wouldn't want to be him in the parking lot heading out to his car after practice, right? Um, like, you leave that stuff behind. That's over and that's done with. One of the things that we're going to be talking about is that Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, he calls us to leave behind our old team for good. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll be reading in just a moment, we more specifically see that he calls us to put off our old selves. And so we're supposed to learn to be a part of a new team with a new culture and a new way of living that comes from a new self. All right, so, um, so this old jersey has to go away. Eddie Lacy can't be a Green Bay Packer anymore. All right, um, so let's read together Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. It'll be up on the screen. You can also follow along if you've got one of the, uh, the Bibles in the seats, or if you brought your own, um, you can follow along on your device as well. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Paul says, Now I say this, And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and every kind of practice of, or uh, greedy, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would point us to the truth through your Holy Spirit and that you'd help us to see the person and work of Jesus Christ in your word and that you'd help us to obey you, to follow you, to live as a part of a new team. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Um, One of the first things that I want to start off with, it's going to be right up on the screen here, and so uh, we can kind of uh, read along with this, but it says that as people saved by grace through faith and transferred into a new team, we are to leave behind our old selves and live by a new team code. So let's read that together, all right? This will help stick it in your brain. Are you ready? As people saved by grace through faith and transferred into a new team, 
we are to leave behind our old selves and live by a new team code. All right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we can really get um, to that, we need to talk about what our old team is like. And so this is a metaphor we're going to be using throughout the service. Like I said from the beginning, I want you to be thinking about teams and thinking about changing teams, thinking about getting traded, thinking about what it's like to start on a new team. Lexi, you just started on a new team. You have different ways that practice happens. That's what we're thinking about right now. And so the first first thing we need to think about is that this is, Ephesians chapter 4 is in the context of a whole lot of things. Number one, Ephesians chapter 4 is in the context of a book, which is really a letter by a guy named Paul, um, and it's the fourth chapter of a whole letter written by Paul. So there's a whole lot of other stuff that happens before we get to chapter 4. So it's in the context of this letter to the Ephesians, letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, the other thing is that this is in the context of the whole picture of the Bible. And so uh, there's a lot of things that happen in the Bible and there's a lot of theology in the Bible that points us to who God is and what he's done for us. Um, so it's important for us to look at that. But I'm not going to um, give you a whole overview of the Bible. I would encourage you to read it for yourselves and to pursue God and his word to you through the Bible, um, your own. Otherwise, you guys know that I already have a tendency towards longer sermons, and so I'm sparing you right now. We're not going to start in Genesis 1-1. You're welcome. Uh, how many of you have seen uh, Moana, by the way? Every time I say you're welcome now, I think of that theme song, the what can I say except you Okay, anyways, continuing on. So, um, with uh, Ephesians, though, um, in chapter 2, what happens is he starts laying out what it is like for us to be apart from God and then what God does in his work in this. So I want to set this stage for chapter 4 by helping us to understand this right here, that we are a people saved by grace through faith. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want, you can look there, but in the very beginning of it, it says that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. So the first off, right off the bat, it says that we're dead. Now I'm going to go and just kind of list this out for you. If you want to skim through chapter 2, you can, but it goes like this. He calls us dead. He calls us followers. How many of you like to think, you know, I got this new hair color, I got this new tattoo, because I'm not a follower, I'm a rebel, and then everybody else has a tattoo just like you, Micah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, um, so I want you to think about this, that we don't really like to be called followers, but the Bible says that we are followers, but also the worst kind of followers. We're, we're the followers of the world. We just do what everybody else does. We are sheep. We're dead. We're followers. We're followers specifically of the devil, devil or partners with the devil. The Bible describes us in Ephesians 2 as sons and daughters of disobedience, as subject to every whim. All right, uh, we're fleeting and flaky and we pursue the passions of our flesh. We are addicted. We're lacking self-control. It says that we're children of wrath. It says that we're, and this is kind of an odder one, but you have to understand what it's meaning. It says that we're uncircumcised. That means that we're not a part of the covenant family of God. And that's in verse 11, verse 12. He says that we're separated, alienated, strangers, and we're hopeless. In verse 13, that we're far off from God. 
That is not a pretty picture that uh, Ephesians chapter 2 starts us off with. But in verse 4, he says this, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, that Jesus made, or God made us alive together with Christ. It says in verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. So we were on this team. Now what I want to be very, very clear is when we're thinking about this analogy of team, that we're not getting transferred because of any of our merits. They're not looking at our stats and saying, man, he's had several great seasons in a row, so we're going to give him a contract because he's really killing it. We're not uh, like, um, oh, it's, what's, uh, uh, is it? not Carson, um, the new rookie that's running back for the Seahawks. We're not like him where we've been doing a great job in preseason. And so it's, uh, um, uh, so hey, we're going to give you a contract because you're just, you're just doing a great job, buddy. Um, that is not the case. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that we're being transferred into a team of no value of our own in and of ourselves. That because of who we are, there is no reason that we should be selected for the team of the kingdom of light. But that God in His grace and His mercy and His love for us has appointed that we should be brought into this team. So in other words, He's saying, you have no value you in and of yourself, but I see value in you. You have no uh, worth or value that, uh, that you should be on my team. I'm not looking at your stats and saying, wow, this guy is killing it. He should be on my team. I'm looking at you and saying, by all practical purposes, you're a loser. But I choose you for my team because I decide what your value is. Do you guys see the difference? That we are not bringing something to, to, the, to the table, but that the king of all kings is choosing what our value is and he sacrifices, the cost is his life. The, the value for which he purchased us is his life. And so he's choosing a value for us that is not based on our merits, is not based on our track record. Praise God, right? <laughs> if we were chosen by our value and our merits... We would not be chosen. And so that's what we get this picture of. Ephesians 2 8 wraps it up by saying, By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the good gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he carries on. There's a lot more that we can learn from that section. But the, the great wrap up of that chapter is it says that. After all of the stuff that it says that we were, it says we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens and saints, members of the household of God. Isn't that awesome? We're no longer those things. We're now citizens, saints, members of the household of God. One of the analogies I've used often um, is this idea that... Um, so. I, I love all of you guys, and I think a lot of all of you guys, but the reality is that none of you are in my will. Okay? Um, so, being uh, a citizen comes with certain rights in our country. Being a member of a household comes with certain rights in a family. And so, you guys don't get stuff from my will. That's for my kids. 
but uh, the reality is, <laughs> hopefully it's not debt that I leave to them, right? Um, so uh, uh, you can get bad stuff in your wills too. Um, but the, the reality is that, uh, that we've been adopted into this family, that we've been made a part of this team. And with that, uh, we've been brought into a family or a team uh, that comes with an in- inheritance that's indescribable. That's pretty awesome. That's amazing. So we're fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God. So that's the foundation that we start in in verse um, in chapter four, uh, verse seventeen. And so, if you want to look forward to, the, uh, to that, we are in a different family now. We're on a different team now. We are called to live live differently. We've got to leave behind our old baggage. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to get rid of the old jersey. Okay, so Eddie Lacy's not coming out to practice wearing his Green Bay jersey. He's definitely not playing a game wearing his Green Bay jersey, and he probably shouldn't even be caught on Twitter wearing his Green, Green Bay jersey because he's got to, get, got to get rid of that thing. Now, the reality is that in our culture, we like to keep things around, um, but this is not the case for the Christian walk. Um, that it's, uh, We've got to leave that behind. But first, we should look at, again, the what uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says about our old team. And so, First of all, it says that um, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So I want you to think like this. You can't play like the Packers do anymore, okay? Eddie, can't do that anymore. You can't do that, and he says, the futility of their thinking, the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. In other words, they just don't get it. They're alienated alienated from God to their ignorant and hard hearts. They're callous. They're immoral. Sexuality, greed, every kind of impurity. They are fooled, and you also once were, by deceitful desires. How many of you have wanted something so bad and you've pursued it in your sin only to find, oh, this was a horrible idea. Maybe it's uh, a relationship. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's a... um, Money, maybe it's all these other kinds of things that you've pursued in your life and you've realized when you've come to the end result of it that it was not what you thought it was going to be. It was not the Savior that you hoped it would be. This is what they say, is that we're fooled by deceitful desires. And so he makes it clear that what's supposed to happen, we have to put off the old self. We've got to get rid of that old jersey. So he's more explicit in Colossians. So in, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says in uh, verse 22, that, uh, that's not the way you, or verse 20, that's not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, that you were taught in him. The truth is in Jesus. And verse 22, to put off your old self. In Colossians, Colossians is kind of a mirror letter that's written with a lot of similar content as Ephesians. And so uh, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he also wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. And uh, basically, um, both of these letters have a lot of similar content. And so you can kind of read them parallel to get an idea of a bigger picture of what he's really saying. And in Colossians, he says that you need to put those things to death. In verse uh, Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earth in you. In Romans, Paul says this, uh, his letter to the Romans, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
put to death the deeds of the body. That, the idea of putting to death. Um, Peter, the apostle, also wrote and said, For Christ also suffered once for your sins, the righteous, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So this idea over and over and over is not, it's okay to have the old jersey hanging around. It's take it out back and burn it. All right? That's the idea. No more dragging around the old luggage from the old team. So uh, just give you a few images here. Uh, first of all, the Bible describes sin and uh, its, its nature and effects and specifically the devil and his temptation of us as a roaring lion. So there's this pastor I listen to sometimes that was using this illustration that apparently there is this... Um, photo shoot that was going on. They had a model, uh, a skimpily dressed model that they stretched across the back of this lion. And it was going to be this amazing and cool and fierce picture. Um, and the reality though is, folks, lions are lions. Um, and so lions do what lions do. And you may convince yourself that this is a tame lion that you've trained and that it's your pet and that you love it and you pet it and he's so friendly and you can let him lick, his fa lick your face. But then eventually he's going to get ticked off because there's a model laying on his back and he's going to try and eat her. And that's what he did. And so he freaks out during this photo shoot and tries to tear apart this like 90 pound lady um, because uh, he's a lion. And there's only so much you can do to keep the lion in the cage. Eventually, it just gets hungry. And uh, unfortunately, the lion didn't realize that there's not much steak to a 90-pound model. But, uh, so he's mostly chewing on bones. But uh, the reality is that you can't keep that lion in a cage for so long. You can't make a pet out of a lion. Okay, And so here's the thing, is that when we try and keep our sin as a pet and say, you know what, I think I've got this under control. I'm kind of managing it. You know, I, I, I only like to do drugs a little bit. I'm, I'm managing this. I'm only um, indulging in my drunkenness a little bit because I'm managing this. I'm only looking at pornography a little bit because I'm kind of managing this. I'm only calling my old girlfriends because uh, uh, a little bit because we're just friends and we're just hanging out and, you know, and so I'm managing this. I've got this under control you know, I'm only yelling at my kids and saying hateful things a little bit, but I've really got this ang uh, anger thing under control. No, you have to kill the lion. You can't keep him in your backyard. He's going to eat your babies. Okay? So stop keeping lions for pets. Okay? So that's one illustration. I want you to think about this too. Is... Uh, and here's, uh, this is for you, Sarah, is uh, Blair Walsh is a new kicker for the, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and so in one of his preseason games, uh, he actually kicked field goal, finally made one, and then he looked over at the Vikings bench and kind of did that because they actually fired him because he kicked the losing post-hitting kick against the Seahawks last year. So they actually fired him from the Vikings for losing to the Seahawks, and then the Seahawks hired him uh, shortly after that, which is hilarious. But this would be so foolish because of Blair Walsh's history with the Vikings for him to wear his Vikings jersey while he's kicking for the Seahawks. Like, he should... Now, again... Uh, he should hate the Vikings team because they fired him. They, you know, now 
the Vikings are okay for hating Blair Walsh, too, because uh, he made them lose the playoffs game. So um, the reality is, though, that it would be silly and ridiculous and weird and awkward if he kept on wearing his Vikings jersey. And everybody, it would be a slap in the face of the fans of the Seahawks, and all the Vikings people would be like, dude, move on. We have... Uh, this is this is weird for us all. Okay, so um, so the reality is that that jersey has to go, and you know, he might have actually burned his jersey. So um, the the next thing is there's also this story. One of my favorite books called The Great Divorce. C.S. Lewis. Um, he actually writes this story about this guy that's at this bus station and ends up getting to drive up to heaven and he gets to see different people that are actually from hell interacting with a grassy plain outside of heaven, interacting with people from heaven that come down and talk to these people and give them this last opportunity. Now, it's an, an allegory. That's not the way that faith works, okay? Um, and so uh, I want to be very clear. This isn't something where we're supposed to base our faith on the writings of C.S. Lewis, but he's trying to paint a picture. The reality is this guy that's from uh, this darkness, he comes up and he's uh, interacting with this lady that you find out later is his wife from his time on earth. And so these two, his wife was this amazing and charitable and giving and loving woman and this, this husband had always despised her for it. In fact, his attitude towards her was, why didn't you spend more time with me? All that time caring for all those hurting and pouring people and me, 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 me. That was his attitude towards wife was that I deserved more time from you and all you were doing was going to church and worshiping Jesus and going and helping the poor and serving those that are in need. And, uh, and so she gets an opportunity to meet him and says, don't you see? This is why it's worth it. This is eternity. And if you would just let go of your frustration and your hatred and your anger towards me and please forgive me for any of my part in that but if you would just let go of that baggage if you would let go of your frustration with me if you would leave that behind then you can come with me and we'll go in we'll walk through these gates together and we'll have this amazing and beautiful life together and as they're talking it becomes clear that the real man is actually this tiny little pet on a chain, or uh, is this, this, sorry, I'm telling the story. The real man is this, is this mute guy, but the person that's been talking the whole time is this tiny little angry man on a chain. And so the guy that, that is her real and true self of her husband never gets to interact because he won't let go of the chain of this little creature that he's dragging around that's his old self. And so this, this, other man is interacting with his wife and saying, well, how come you did this? How come you did that? And the longer and longer that this guy dragging the chain lets him talk, the bigger and bigger that this little uh, character gets and, and the, the more the other guy can't get a word in, can't interact at all with his wife to, to the point so much so that he ends up leaving his wife there in the fields of heaven and gets back on the bus to hell. Because he would rather hold on to his grudge, rather hold on to his baggage, than to step into the gates of glory with his wife and let go of his frustration with her, let go of his jaded attitude towards her service to others. Isn't that amazing? What kinds of things do you hold on to? What kind of baggage do you hold on to 
that is limiting you from the glorious life that God has prepared for you and that He's calling you to right now? What kind of forgiveness are you unwilling to offer because you don't want to let go of that chain? So the first thing is we've got to put that to death. Um, let me give you one last analogy, and this, this hopefully will really seal this in. Okay? So I know a few different guys um, that have had heart surgery, but I've never met somebody that's actually had a heart transplant. Has anyone ever met someone that's had a heart transplant, an actual crack them open and put in a new heart transplant? You have. All right. Okay. So uh, I want you to think of that person. I want you to realize that this does happen on a regular basis, that there's, uh, there's people that need new hearts. The Bible talks about this in, in an analogous way in that, that um, God takes out our heart of stone and gives us a soft heart, a heart of flesh. Um, and so one of the things that, that uh, we see with heart transplants is that they take out that old heart and then they hook up this new heart. Um, that's a really amazing and crazy and intricate thing. Um, I want you to think of this, though, is what if somebody uh, got a heart transplant, but they didn't want to let go of their old heart? And so they actually stuffed that little piece of muscle in their pocket and carried it around with them. What if even more so, they got a little necklace and carried around their little uh, Temple of Doom thing hanging there around their neck? Uh, I mean, so first of all, this is super gross, right? Super gross, super weird. This is not just a slip-up. You don't hang uh, an old heart around your neck by accident. This isn't just a mistake. This is disgusting, disturbing, and all sorts of weird on all sorts of levels. This is also a slap in the face to the one who died to provide you with the transplant heart. You're saying, so I appreciate the new heart, but I still can't get rid of my old one. This is also, uh, you know, it's... Why do we drag around our old, dead selves with us? Why don't we let go? Why don't we put that off? Why don't we, why don't we just say, okay, I'm grateful for the new. I'm done with the old. So, we have this old jersey that we've got to get rid of. The second thing is that we've got to put on this new jersey. So, first off, we need to remember what team we're on. Colossians 1.13 says that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Romans 8 reminds us that we're no longer slaves to fear, which we're going to be singing about in a little bit, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. So we're not on this old team of darkness. We are in the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. We are children of God and heirs of God and His kingdom. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul reminds us that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but that we are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That we are a part of a new family. Um, so, with the new family comes the adopted mentality of the new team. And so, I want you to think about uh, this whole transfer. First of all, let me give you an example of my family. So, my dad, um, he used to say this, uh, you know, 
we would have we'd have this rule sometimes that he'd make, and we didn't like it. So, um, so we as kids would say, "Well, how come, Dad, that we have to do this? How come so and so's family gets to do that, and we don't get to do that? How come so and so's dad lets them do that, and we don't get to do that?" My dad's response was always, "Well, I'm not so and so's parent. That's not how we do it in our family, right?" Now, kids, how many of you have heard that? Maybe even this week. Uh, not this week. Noah, you're like, uh, yeah, probably so. That's, that's not how we do it in this family. I'm not so-and-so's parent. He used to say that to me all the time. And Paul says this kind of same thing in verse 20. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way we do it on this team. That's not the way we do it in this family. How did we learn Christ? It goes on further. It says that we were taught to be renewed in our minds. In other words, to think differently. See, if you look um, in verse 23, he says that you're taught to put off that old manner of life, the deceitful desires, all those things, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And that's how we learned Christ, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So, we need to think differently. And there's a lot of different verses that you can read about having renewed minds. Romans uh, chapter uh, 12 is a great place to start if you'd like to look further into that. But the big thing is that thinking differently should lead us to act differently. So, um, I want you to think about this. Let's go back to Eddie Lacy. And so, a new player studies the playbook for his new team. He first has to learn the plays. He has to think differently. He has to think like his new team. And so, Eddie Lacy can't think like Aaron Rodgers anymore. Eddie Lacy has to think like Russell Wilson now. He can't think like his old coach. What's the Green Bay's coach's name? I, I it doesn't matter. But he's got to work with Pete Carroll. He's got to think of the plays that Pete Carroll is going to be writing. And so he has to think differently. And so once the new player has learned the plays, then they have to act differently. He can't just say, oh yeah, I know that play, but I'm going to do it the way Green Bay does it. He has to do what he learned. He has to think differently, study the place, and then he has to act differently by fulfilling the steps that the play calls him to fulfill. So, before we get too far with this uh, analogy or this idea that we have to guard ourselves against something, this is not a call to action to frenetic, frenetic religious activity. Let me uh, put this in other words. You can't just act like you're on the team before you've really had your thinking changed. So, um, one of the things that we're tempted to do a lot of times is to act differently before we have had our thinking changed, before we think differently. Uh, we want everyone else around us, we want all of you good and kind people here to think that we're good Christian folk and uh, that that we dis discipline our children the way that good Christian folk do, that we dress the way that good Christian folk do, that, uh, that we uh, drink as much or as little as good Christian folk do, that we swear as much or as little as good Christian folk do. We want you to think that we're good Christian peeps. And so we try really hard with all kinds of frenetic religious activity showing up to church on time, doing this and doing that to convince everybody that we're on the same team that they are when we're not, okay? There's super fans out there, right? Uh, the Seahawks are famous for their super fans. Um, that I think they've, they, the, the screws have come a little bit loose, you know? 
there, there's guys out there that are painted blue and green that I think they think that they're on the team. As uh, hearing this comedian last night that we were listening to that actually uh, prayed for his basketball team and he said, uh, you know what, the Cavs, they won. And I think why they won is because I prayed for each player by name and went through their whole roster and asked for God to help them to play to the full level of their ability. And uh, this is a guy that's struggling. He's on his third divorce and he's uh, just die, uh, drowning in his financial situation, just lost a job. The comedian said, you know, I think maybe even God is sitting up there saying, you know LeBron's not praying for you, right? Um, so uh, you could probably maybe pray about some of these other, other things. I mean, I just feel bad for you, so I'll let the Cavs win. But uh, So uh, the reality is that... Um, <laughs> the reality is that sometimes we have super fans that think they're on the team and they're not. They think that they're painting uh, blue and green. They think that all they're screaming and that all they're yelling. They think that all their frenetic religious activity is going to win the game. And sometimes we even convince them that they are winning the game because we're like doing all these decibel tests in, in, you know, in CenturyLink Stadium. And we're like, wow, look at all these 12s and how loud they are. They're winning the game. The reality is that the 12s wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and some of those other people. And the reality is that they are not the ones winning the game. They can do a lot of things that make a lot of people excited about the Seahawks, but they can't go down on the field and throw the ball, and they aren't going down on the field and throwing the ball. And so what it has to be clear for us to do is that just acting religious is not what we're calling you to this morning. I want you to have transformed minds that lead to transformed actions. And the only way you can have a transformed mind is if we follow what Ephesians 2 says and that we allow the mercy and grace of God to save us from our despicable and dead selves and give us a new heart and a new life that has been refreshed and renewed and changed and transformed, that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that we've been given, that we've been removed uh, from our old heart and that we've been given, uh, given a new soft heart that can obey God, that we've been transformed and that we have a new, that we've let go of our old mind and that we've been given a new mind. And so that transformation has to take place before you can be of any value or production on the team. So what I don't want you to do this morning is to leave saying, man, David gave us this long list of what it means to be a Christian and I'm never going to be able to do that. That's just a lot of hard work. Or to leave and say, on the flip side, David just gave us a long list of uh, instructions. So this is some of you. Some of you are going to leave today saying, David just gave us a long list of instructions of what the Bible says Christians are supposed to act like. And I'm, I'm just never going to do it. I'm a horrible person. I don't believe that I can live up to this. Some of you are going to be more like me. And uh, you're self-righteous tools like me. And so some of you are going to be over on this side and you're going to be like, Yes, a list. I can check boxes. I am the king of slaying those boxes. And I can be a good person. I can stop swearing and I can stop stealing and I can stop being angry and I can stop being deceitful. Yes, a list. I'm going to prove to my team my worth as they all tremble around me and see my value. 
Get rid of that, okay? There's no value in thinking that way. We come to the team because we start thinking differently and then we start acting differently. So we have to realize that we're only on the team because God made us alive together in Christ. God must do a transforming work in our hearts and our minds and transfer us to the new team at great cost to himself. So because we're on the new team and thinking a new way, we begin to act differently and these are the new plays of the team. All right, you guys ready for the playbook now? Some of you are like, ooh, this is the checklist time. Don't get excited, you checklist people, okay? Don't get excited. Here we go. So, starting in uh, verse 25, he starts listing off, this is the plays of the new team. So first he says, no lying. Start telling the truth. Stop lying, okay? So, the old way, the old team, is a team full of liars, Okay, we're not playing for the Patriots anymore. Tell the truth. Oh, is that a little bit low? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, sorry. uh, Any Patriots fans out there? That was a little blow. Um, Hey, truth hurts. So, um, verse 25, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Number two, don't sin in your anger. So the Bible doesn't ever say that anger in itself is wrong. In fact, the Bible talks about the anger of God. But let me tell you this right now, is most of you are going to say, you know what, the Bible doesn't say that anger is a sin, and so I am the exception to the rule. You know what, I know how to be angry in a healthy way. Let me promise you something, is you are not the exception, all right? You are not the exception to the rule. You are not the one person in the world that has really figured out how to be angry in healthy and sinless ways, all right? All of us struggle with this, and you are not the person that has championed it. Jesus Christ has excelled in that area, and the rest of us fall short. And so, if there is something that makes you angry, bring it to God, because that anger will lead to action, and most likely, your action will be sinful. Um, Bring your anger to God and ask Him to work something righteous out of that anger. So, no lying, no t- uh, start telling the truth. No sinning with your anger. Number three is don't hold a grudge. This gives the other team an opportunity to defeat you. Stop holding grudges. We've got to let go of those grudges. Guys, this is a hard thing for me. You know, and I've always thought of myself as a really forgiving person. But as it turns out, I just really haven't been hurt that much in my life. And so when you get hurt good and hard, it's hard to let go. You know? And so uh, I have had a pretty easy and cush life for most of my life. And I've started to realize that some of the more uh, painful things that have hit me in recent years are harder to let go. So maybe uh, you're like me and that you've always thought of yourself as a forgiving person, but then there's just some pain or some hurt or some disappointment looming around the corner of your life that will prove, prove to you that you actually do excel at holding a grudge. God's still working in my heart on that one. Um, Number four, don't steal. Do honest work. Let me ask you this. He's not just talking about 7-Eleven candy bars and, you know, uh, those of you that, you know, go and make your Slurpee and then you drink a little bit down and then put a little bit more in your Slurpee. Um, that's also stealing, by the way, but he's not talking about that. How many of you 
steal time from your company. You clock in a little bit earlier than you really got there. You clock out a little bit later than you really left. How many of you um, struggle with honesty in business? Like, maybe if I sell this and I just don't really tell them how crappy of a product it is. There's, there's honesty issues that we deal with all the time that are much more subtle and subversive than just, like, um, stealing Slurpees. When we work honestly, we share what God has blessed us with in our labors. So, the, the difference between uh, stealing, um, or the, the, the prescription is not just don't steal, but he says, don't steal, but work hard, get a good job, and then give away what you get through your hard work. And so, he calls us to live generously as a response to our changed minds. The, the fifth thing is he says, purge all kinds of evil speech from your repertoire. This may include, but is not limited to, so if for those of you that are looking for the loopholes, um, it's not limited to swearing, gossip, slander, coarse joking, hurtful sarcasm, shaming, verbal abuse, and an even disrespectful language. This talk should be replaced by kind and generous words that build up others and give others grace. So we've got to get rid of, we've got to have a changed vocabulary. There's a different play there that's not, um, uh, it's a changed vocabulary. Um, so the, the sixth one is, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Our sin grieves the Spirit of God and His presence in our lives. Um, and so we need to stop grieving the Holy Spirit. So those are uh, six plays right there for the Christian playbook. But again, we have to come back to that you can't just uh, practice with the, you you. Uh, you can't pretend like you're on the team by doing all of the plays when you're actually not on the field. You can't pretend uh, to do this without a transformed mind. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be um, of no help to you. So Paul uses the same language of put off and put away um, later on. So he moves on and gives us more prescription. In verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be Put away from you. And he's using that same language, as he said earlier, from put off. And he's using this aggressive language. So I want you to understand, okay, he gives you six plays. And then you've been playing in the game for a while, and it's not going well. And so the coach calls you in at halftime, and he says, all right, we're having a heart-to-heart talk, guys. This is not going well for us. And so there might be a little bit of yelling and chair-throwing as he says this. He, uh, well, he's not saying, first of all, hey, good job, team. Everyone have a cookie, all right? That's not what the coach is saying at this halftime speech. He's saying, get, all, get rid of all that you're messing around, the slacking off, the stupid mistakes. Get your heads in the game. What are we doing out there? Knock it off. Get it together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You have to play by the playbook. And he goes off and he says, get rid of all of that. Put away all of that from among you. You've got to get rid of it. Put away uh, all that bitterness. Put away all that wrath. Put away all that anger. Get rid of all that clamor, that slander, and that malice. And he says, from among you. He doesn't say that you're doing it to others. He says it's in your midst. You're doing it to each other. Okay? 
So this is Pete Carroll yelling at the defense that are fighting because they don't know how to play without Earl Thomas. He's saying, you guys have to get it together. Stop blaming each other for those missed tackles and those missed plays. You've got to pull it together. Stop being angry at each other. Stop this malice. Stop this arguing. Stop this slacking off. Stop all these stupid mistakes. Put away those things. And the you that he uses when he says, put it away from among you, he says... This you is a plural word. So church, let me be very clear that this you is talking about the whole team. We're not talking about the individual team member anymore where Paul's saying, hey, Chris, I really need you to stop lying. And Micah, I really need you to stop stealing from your job. You know, so he, he's not doing that anymore. He's not prescribing to the individual anymore. He's now saying the whole team, the rookies the, uh, and the uh, veterans, all of you guys need to get it together. You need to stop doing this. This isn't something that just a few people were doing in this church. This isn't just something that a few people do this in the whole church, the Big C Church. Um, this is something that all churches struggle with. This is something that all team members are struggling with. You guys, us, we need to put off malice and envy and strife and bitterness and clamor and slander and malice. All those things need to go away. So there is no room for these things in the kingdom of heaven, in the family of God. One of the primary reasons the world looks at the church and thinks, what a bunch of hypocrites is this right here. The anger, the slander, the backbiting, the lying, the uh, wrath, the malice, the bitterness. This is why the world looks at the church and says it's a joke at times. Jesus said in John's Gospel, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, that's the prescription for us. So we must purge these things from our midst, church. We have to get rid of them. It's got to be gone. This jersey has to be burned, good and done. The ashes need to be scattered to the winds. There needs to be nothing left of this old team. If you need to repent, <coughs> repent today. If you need to let go of some bitterness, or a grudge, let go of it today. If you're stirring up drama, just stop it. Now, I've been blessed in this church. I think that we, for the most part, we really avoid that one, but we're fully capable of it. Let's stop it. Just stop it. Stop stirring up drama. We must love one another. We cannot show a dying world the love of Christ if these things are in the way. So Paul gives us a prescription instead. He says, be kind. Here it is, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, forgave you. So, this is a new job description, quite a new job description. This feels impossible. And that's where the gospel of grace steps in. God reminds us that this is the work that he is accomplishing in us. He's the one transforming our minds. So let's uh, see what we have uh, up here next. So this, this last thing is that we need to imitate our loving Father. 
that we can't do this on our own. We can't change teams on our own. We can't learn the playbook and follow it perfectly on our own. We need supernatural help. So God in his infinite mercy, infinite mercy for us calls us to imitate him. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, here's uh, the thing. It says, imitators of God as beloved children. That's a different kind of imitation, okay? So um, this coming weekend, I have a chance to, to play with some old friends, playing some music, um, and we're going to be doing some cover songs. And so um, I'm, uh, I, I'm going to be basically imitating a whole bunch of uh, singers and lead vocalists from bands over the years um, as, as I sing and as Nathan sings. We're going to be imitating. Uh, and so in, in a lot of ways, uh, we want to do what they're doing. But that's a very different kind of in, imitation. An imitation of a beloved child is like this. So when my dad and I used to go fishing when I was a little kid, we'd walk across streams and and rivers and stuff like that and he would tell me so step where I step there's holes in this river and I don't want you to go down and get your foot caught and sink in so step where I step and so we would walk across this river and I would watch where he stood step and it would take smaller steps so that I could meet his stride and so I would follow him as a beloved child as he's showing me where to step my sons do this with me now as uh, we're walking through deep snow in our yard and they try and step in my footprints so that they can walk through that deep snow a little bit more carefully I want you to understand this is what a beloved child does when they're following the imitation is not that of a you better be good and you better be like Jesus and he died for us so you know what that's going to take. It's following in the footsteps of a loving father, okay? This is not, you better watch out, you better not pout, kind of Santa Claus creepy stuff. This is following in the footsteps of a father that says, let me gently and kindly show you the way with footsteps that are measurable and easy for you to walk in. Let me be gracious to you as I show you the way to walk. Follow in these footsteps so, my sons do this all the time. They follow me in the snow. They even want to wear my shoes. And sometimes that doesn't go well for them. They trip and they fall and they face plant in my shoes. Um, but this is that imitation that he's calling us. He calls us to do this as his beloved children. So, in other words, follow your daddies. As the Bible in Romans says, your Abba, Father's footsteps and walk like him. Even more specifically, we walk like Jesus. We follow him as dearly loved child follows their careful, patient, long-suffering, merciful father. His footsteps are trustworthy. His footsteps are good. Trust him to help you take these difficult steps. Sometimes that difficult step is apologizing to someone. Sometimes that difficult step is letting go of some bitterness and some frustration and some anger. Sometimes that difficult step is changing the way that you talk to and about people. Sometimes that difficult step is working out with your business the things that you did that were kind of shady. Sometimes that difficult step is getting rid of anger in your household so that you're not interacting with your children in an anger and a rage all the time. But God is faithful, God is gentle, God is patient, God is kind, and he waits for us to take those steps in patience. So we have to get rid of that old jersey, 
We've got to put on a new jersey. And then we've got to follow in those footsteps that have been laid out for us. Paul calls us to walk in love. And this is how he says it. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we should pray this morning. We should ask God to help us to walk in this kind of love toward God, toward each other, towards the watching world. That's what this is all about. That's what being on this team is all about. That's why we're supposed to use these kinds of plays. It's not because we're just changing to these kinds of plays because one coach likes to coach one way and then another coach likes to coach another way. We're talking about changing plays because this is going to change the world. We're talking about changing plays because this is going to revolutionize the way that you interact with your family. We're talking about changing plays because this is going to change the effectiveness of our church. This has to happen. This isn't like a, this isn't like a, you know, these are good ideas. Let me give you five points, six points of ways to live your life. That's a good way to live. This is, this, this has to happen. God's ordained in the most beautiful way that his church would be the shining light of his glory in the world. And so we have to play like his church. We have to follow those plays. We have to walk in that footsteps and we can only do it by following his footsteps as he's patient with us. Let me pray for you. Um, and then we have a unique res- uh, opportunity to respond differently today. Uh, today we're uh, going to be sharing in communion together. Um, and so as we ask for God to change our hearts, to change our minds, to, to change the way that we think so that the, that will work into the way that we act, to transform us from the inside out. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you don't have that new heart and so you need to ask God to give you that new heart. Maybe you do have that new heart but you're still wearing that old temple of doom heart around your neck and and you need to get rid of that you need to let go of that and so now's a great opportunity to respond to god and ask him to do that but then we get to respond in worship by saying god is great and glorious and good and gracious because he has come and put on human flesh he has taken our sins upon him died on the cross for us and we can rejoice because he has risen again and through that risen life he has given us new hearts and a new life to live and we do that through communion. So we're going to be able to, to sing together in a moment and then we'll come together and share in the table together. Um, and so that we as, as a church, we believe in an, uh, an open table and that what we mean by that is if you have been saved by the grace of God and that uh, you have a changed heart and a changed life because of what God has done in your heart um, and you are identifying with his church, then you can participate in communion with us together. Um, you don't have to be a member here or anything like that, but you, uh, you do need to be a part of the team. You do need to be a part of the team. The trade has already needs to have happened. And so, um, so that's how we uh, participate in communion. Um, and so this is a time where we remember Jesus' suffering and death for us until he comes, as the Bible describes. But this isn't something where we just sit and we mope and we, um, you know, are self-flagellating and whipping our backs to try and make us feel bad about how Jesus died. This is where we look to the cross as we were singing earlier and say, uh, I'm in awe of you.
I'm in awe of you. Your love ran red and my sins washed white. I owe all to you. Where we respond in worship before God in joy for the new life he has given us because of his sacrifice on the cross for us. Um, So I want to encourage you to respond as a part of this new team by worshiping God through communion together as the church. Let me pray for you and then let's, uh, let's stand and sing and respond in worship through communion. Father, we thank you that you've transferred us from an old team to a new team. We thank you and praise you that you've given us new life and new light in our hearts. You've given us an enlightened thinking. You've changed our darkened way of thinking and have given us new words and new minds and new interactions and a new way to deal with anger and frustration, new way to, to speak honestly with each other, a new way to let go of frustration and anger, to let go of bitterness. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, work in my heart to let go of my bitterness. God, work in our hearts to forgive others around us. Work in our hearts to show love to each other and grace to each other and to get rid of gossip and slander and malice in our midst. Father, help us to be the church that glorifies you out of kind and gentle hearts that show that we are walking and following in the footsteps of our Father who loves us. Father, help us to worship you this morning, to glorify you as we remember the sacrifice that you've made through your son Jesus on the cross. We praise you for all that you've done. We praise you that we're no longer slaves, but we are free members of this new team that glorify you with fearless faith. Help us to live boldly with confidence, knowing that we can walk in your footsteps. Help us to live as a team that glorifies you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we sing, I want to invite you as you feel comfortable and as you feel ready, if you'd like to come up as individuals or as a family to participate in communion together, come up to sing, to, uh, to remember Jesus and, and the cross and to rejoice in what he's done for us. Um, let's do that.
close out our uh, worship gathering this morning. If you haven't partaken of the table yet, I know our um, our worship team is going to want to come up and and uh, and celebrate with you and and be at the table that we've all uh, shared from. So I want to give you a give them an opportunity to do that and and. Uh, so just please reserve this space up here um, um, and uh, continue to visit uh, when we're done in the back and uh, fellowship there uh, while the rest are um, finishing up their, uh, their communion. Um, thank you for gathering for worship today. Um, thank you, David, for uh, leading us and, uh, and uh, the message. Um, thank you. Chris and Bill for preaching the previous two Sundays. It's been nice to have a little bit of a break and get my um, thoughts and my life collected and, and get a little time off. And I'm looking forward to beginning a new series next week. So look forward to that. We're going to dive into uh, the book of the New Testament book of Philippians, um, a very small letter, um, but a wonderful, beautiful, encouraging um, letter that Paul wrote, and the, the Spirit has something for us um, over the next few weeks. So we're going to spend some time in that letter um, for the rest of this fall. So look forward to that. Let me encourage you with a verse of the week, um, and uh, take this with you, and and um, think about it, meditate on it. Um, can you back up one step, Micah? Cool. Awesome. Thank you. That's it. And no, no problem. You didn't know. But uh, the verse Colossians one thirteen to fourteen. Uh, this is a little stand-in card for us because the uh, the regular verse of the week didn't get put in there by me. So. We we'll just have to de- deal with this. You don't have the pretty stuff that's usually on there. But Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Um, that, is, that is what we hold on to. Those of us who have put their, our faith in Jesus Christ he is our Savior. He's our Lord. We have salvation through Him um, because of what He has done. And that's where we belong now. That's who we belong to. That's, that's our team. That's our team. So that's pretty awesome. Let that word go with you. Meditate on that, that this week. You'll find it, that verse in your bulletin. Make a card out of it. Um, think about it. Pray over it. Um, and uh, that, that is definitely our verse of the week. Are there any other uh uh, matters of prayer that are in the body today. How can we pray for one, on, one another as we are preparing to uh, leave today? Anything? We can pray for, there's a family that we prayed for in the past, Olivia's friend Bonnie, the mm-hmm. mom and six kids, and they live just down the road from us, but recently I drove by and all their stuff is in the front yard, and so they're gone. I don't know where they are. Um, so just pray for their safety. They've bounced around a lot. Hasn't always been healthy relationships, so pray for their safety. And um, I reached out in all the ways I know how and haven't heard from them, and so mm-hmm. I pray that we mm-hmm. hear from them and then can help them. However, okay. So all right, we'll do. Bonnie's family, let's pray for them. That's right. Um, on what slide? Oh, on a mudslide. Okay. Oh, it is at your house. Okay. It's a, I might have seen a, a picture of that mudslide. That looks awesome. Can I come over and hang out and 
Would that be awesome? Gosh, I wonder if I have time for that today. Uh, I don't know if I'll have time tonight, but man, that would be awesome. So if you're looking for an awesome mudslide, um, talk to Ezra and he can tell you all about it. And uh, but do pray for their safety. We don't need any more broken bones, right? Uh, yes. Okay, so Micah has this um, plan to take a trip to. Are you going all the way to Montana? Wyoming. Or, oh, Wyoming. Okay, so a little bit. So uh, a road trip to Wyoming. On a motorcycle. Yes, on a motorcycle. <laughs> sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds awesome, actually. It sounds like a, a blast. But. Pray for because sometimes the most awesome trips are the ones that need the most prayer. So, um, yeah, pray for pray for Mike on that. Um, continue to be in prayer for our church. Um, we have the city asked us to redo our plan for the site. Um, to clarify the the dimensions of everything in the parking, and so we're working on that. But continue to be in prayer. That is the last hurdle um, that we need to go through before we can close and and purchase that building, and then it will be our own. Won't that be awesome? Um, so for for some of you guests, we've been praying for that for a long, long time. We can fill you in to ask ask one of the regular folks here about that building. They'll they'll tell you all about it. But but continue to pray. We're going to pray for that right now, too. Is there anything left that I haven't? Yes, Bev. I just thought of something. My, my friend, um, my friend Emery is going through a really rough patch right now. It seems like she just life is slamming her up one side and down the other and every time she overcomes something, something else comes. Mm-hmm. So just be praying for her that um, that she'll be able to stand strong and not give up. Okay. Damry? Damry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll pray for your friend Demery and as she uh, stays strong and uh, some difficult circumstances as well. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we um, we lift up these requests to you, Micah in his travel, um, Demery and the, and her life situation, um, uh, Bonnie's family, uh, the friends of the Wells, um, that you will keep them safe and help help Amy to be able to get in touch with them and, and be able to show Jesus' love to them. Pray for the kids as they're um, playing on the mudslide. Lord, we do ask that you keep them safe and secure. Um, Lord, we pray for um, the building situation um, and the city. Lord, uh, we pray that you will... Um, Work in their hearts, um, all of the, in all of the people who are making decisions, um, that their hearts will be open and that um, we will have favor in their eyes, and that God, you will do some miraculous things, and um, allow us to use that that property and that building um, for your glory to expand your kingdom um, here in Moxie and all over Yakima and the world. Um, We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, be blessed. Thanks.